Hello there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Colin Andrews, a concert organist originally from England but currently living in the United States. And uh, he is mostly known for his uh, extensive uh, recital c- career. He's been giving around 40 recitals a year on all continents around the globe and uh, teaching for more than 40 years. Um, until recently, he's been the adjunct uh, uh, professor of music uh, uh, at Indiana University Bloomington. But now he is currently on the lookout of a new position. It's a, it's a transfer, basically, period for him. And he completed um, seven CD series of um, complete Messian organ works. That's a very fascinating project for him. And currently, he is the director of music uh, at First Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Indiana. And when he travels the world with his recitals, he also is in high demand as the teacher of master classes all over the world on various aspects of organ repertoire. So in this conversation, Colin shares his advice and um, tips uh, for organists uh, about his practice. Basically, he reveals his practice and preparation for for, um, recitals and concert tours um, method, basically. You will find out uh, how he practices, how he memorizes, how he even manages to to keep his technique on a very high level while even traveling the world. So that's very fascinating conversation and I hope you will listen to the end of it because at the end of the conversation Colin uh, shares three most important things that an organist should do if um, uh, he or she hopes to achieve uh, professional international uh, organ uh, recitalist level. So let's go to the show now. Thank you so much, Colin, for doing this interview. I'm very excited uh, to know all about your concert tours and uh, your preparation, especially preparation f- and organ practice that you are uh, getting ready uh, for your concert tours all over the world. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Vidas. Wonderful. I remember meeting you live in Vilnius some four years ago, I believe, right? When you played uh, a magnificent recital in our St. John's Church at Vilnius University with delightful versatile program and you you uh, played this tremendously um, advanced uh, mechanical organ very, very easily i would say and uh, the listeners were so delighted so i ha- i have a feeling that you are you are uh, so tremendously experienced concert uh, organist and playing all over the world every year am i right yes you are well first of all thank you for those very kind words i uh, had a wonderful time in vilnius um it was great to be back the last time I played in Vilnius was in the old Soviet Union in 1987. 
Um, uh, but I had a wonderful time, and uh, that instrument at St. John's is is very inspiring. Um, but uh, yes, I, I do travel constantly around the world each year. Last year was maybe, I think, 40 engagements. Wow, 40 engagements around the world. So almost like uh, uh, one one engagement or recital uh, every week, right? Or every every uh, two weeks uh, or three recitals in two weeks or somewhere around that, right? Very busy schedule. It is a very busy schedule. Uh, sometimes uh, the recitals were compressed into shorter periods. Um, in certain countries, uh, the schedule is, is very, very tight. Um, it's travel, play, travel, play almost every day for about 10 days. So some of those engagements were compressed into a very short time. Um, but coming back to what you were saying about experience, in those sort of concert tour situations where you have a very short time to get used to an organ, yes, um, you gain a lot of experience very, very quickly. And it helps tremendously in becoming accustomed to strange instruments. Um, I find that I can adjust now very, very quickly, partly because of this kind of experience. Yes, and of course uh, uh, we can compare this uh, organ playing with uh, uh, with the experience of driving a car. So uh, the the more cars you know, right, the the better and the easier the accommodation uh, custom uh, process will become for you. The, the 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 easier you will get along with the new car. Am I right? You're absolutely right, yes. There are so many variants in driving a car and whether the gear shift is on the left or the right or what make of car, how difficult the gear shift is or whether it's automatic. Yes, um, every organ, as you know from your vast experience, um, every organ is completely different and you have to almost strike a relationship and become friends with this instrument and get used to its strange personality quirks in a very short time. Um, so it, it's, it can be very challenging, but as you say, the more experience you have, the quicker it becomes to adjust. Wonderful. So uh, can you um, now remind our listeners, where did you go uh, just before your uh, next tour, where did you go uh, last on last tour, basically? Oh well, in uh, the world has been um, very interesting and varied. Um, in May and June, I was in uh, Australia and Korea, um, and um, very recently, I was in Germany, Switzerland, France, and England. Um, one of the highlights, I suppose, was um, the Church of La Madeleine in Paris in July, which, of course, uh, various famous organists were um, um, organists at that church. Saint-Saëns and uh, many others as well, Dubois. Um, so that was a tremendous experience to play that famous instrument in that famous building. Yes, I remember being in that uh, La Madeleine uh, church myself and uh, I only had a chance to play the choir organ downstairs 
but still the room itself and the legendary cultural heritage that it carries with with the space and the organ it's it's amazing isn't it to know that uh, uh, Foray was there and Saint-Saëns was there uh, and um, and people even today they are very very tremendously um, uh, fascinating and advanced uh, organ organ uh, activities going on today in this church too that's true and uh, yes I, I practiced a little bit on that choir organ the days after my recital and even that instrument is Cavalle Col as well um, and it's tucked behind the high altar and those magnificent sculptures oh yeah it, it's just a breathtaking place to to work in yes so Colin um, now uh, of course our listeners from all over the world are wondering where are you going to go next with your uh, recital tours? Can you tell us? Yes, um, I have a tour coming up very shortly in about a week's time. Um, I will be going to Russia and to Italy. Um, specifically in Russia, I will be going to Moscow and to St. Petersburg. And then, uh, maybe surprisingly for some listeners, I'm going to Siberia. Um, this is, will be the second time I've been to Siberia and we all have pictures maybe in our mind of Siberia being a sort of wasteland and, and nothing much happening there but there are so many huge and thriving cities there um, some cities I went to last year were a million plus people and they have a very strong artistic life there uh, thriving culture and they have organ recitals and very fine instruments. Um, most of the instruments I played were from Germany, uh, and each and every concert was full of, of people, and very, very enthusiastic audiences in Russia always. The, um, the audiences in Russia are like nowhere else in the world, I think. Um, people are very well informed about music. It's part of their blood, their upbringing, their culture. And so when they go to a concert, it's almost like they want to be given a vitamin to be fed by the music. And for me, I, I feel this when I walk out to play. It's not like in America where people are maybe a little jaded um, and they just want to be impressed. I mean, Russians want to be impressed, but there's another uh, angle to it. They want to be fed spiritually by the music. And they just become so absorbed in what happens. It's it's very special. Um, so this time I'm going to the cities of Kemerovo, uh, Barnaul, uh, Irkutsk, Chita and Chelyabinsk in Siberia. Um, and then I will finish the tour in Rome, uh, Italy, the uh, Portuguese church. Well, that spectacular tour, I, I guess you will be doing, uh, and uh, uh, th your experience with Russian uh, audiences uh, reminds me that we also had this uh, very enthusiastic uh, organ culture back in Soviet times in Lithuania, just before 1990s. Where, where we were still a part of, of, of the former uh, Soviet Union and organ music uh, was very highly valued and uh, actually it was part of the s part of the maybe experiences uh, spirit uh, a few forbidden uh, or allowed uh, 
spiritual experiences that the people could ex could could attend you know in those days you could not easily go to church in those days but you could listen to organ concert and um, y organists couldn't play religious music uh, openly but they could play some Bach right and uh, instead of the religious chorale uh, 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 title they would uh, say a maybe a prelude you know g general yeah. general uh, abstract name <laughs> for of the piece leaving out all the references to religion but anyway it was very important uh, cultural and spiritual experiences for that time and the the concert halls our uh, former uh, uh, picture gallery uh, which is today uh, the cathedral of vilnius uh, basically was always full every Sunday when when uh, when organ concerts were held by by Lithuanian organists and not only Lithuanians also from people from other countries and uh, also from Soviet Union you were there too right in 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 yeah, the 1980s well, right. when I in Vilnius it was in what is now the cathedral and what was then the art museum yes exactly yes yeah. it was full full of people and well the experience in the old Soviet Union and the present Russia it's is as you were describing it's very very special yeah uh, and uh, and now people in Russia they are really uh, they have this uh, sort of encapsulated this this feeling about the organ they are not bored uh, with organ music uh, at all right they treasure it because uh, because this uh, organ music reminds them of the of the uh, times and places that uh, in the west perhaps we have the freedom we have freedom of speech freedom of expression of religion and uh, uh, in certain uh, amount they uh, do miss that at least in uh, in subconscious level i guess Yes, that's a very interesting observation. Um, I think maybe one of the reasons organ music took off in the Soviet Union was uh, because they were not exposed to organ music um, <clears throat> in a religious context, and the organ as a concert instrument was was fascinating. I mean, we all know it's it's like an orchestra at your fingertips and, and at your feet, and uh, this captured their imagination. And that's why organists are treated somewhat differently to most other countries in the world. You're actually treated the same as a concert pianist and a concert violinist because the organ was introduced as a concert instrument when it first was uh, there. Um, but yes, going to the next level beyond that, yes, there are connotations of feeling a spiritual connection with the instrument because of the organ's spiritual connection throughout history with the church. So it's a very interesting mix of uh, influences that, uh, that one experiences when you play there. Yes, uh, that's amazing, uh, amazing observation and insight, uh, Colin. I'm really, really um, feel that you will um, bring this spiritual uh, uh, maybe even revelation to at least some of the members of of your audience uh, in Siberia and in Saint Petersburg and in, in Moscow. I, I I hope and I I really wish you uh, this to happen. 
Well, thank you, Vitas. Um, that's always my aim uh, whenever I play, is to try and take the listener out of themselves and through me, I hope to not be in the way, uh, through me to uh, experience the music and so that I can be a channel for the music and, and the spiritual and musical message that it has. Yes, and uh, Colin, can you describe the program a little bit in detail? What will we be playing in your next concert tour? Well, it's almost like um, a journey. It's, um, I call it a tale of three cities. Um, as I'm English, of course, uh, English music is very special to me. So I like to try and bring English music to audiences around the world who may not have experienced it or not experienced it very much. So it's called A Tale of Three Cities, London, Leipzig and Paris. So there's an English section to the program, and then there's an old Bach section to the program. I will play um, the great Passacaglia and Fugue in C minor, and um, the very, very beautiful chorale, O Mensch, Bewein dein Sunde Gross, from the Orkuchlein, and the early G major prelude in Fugue. Um, and um, the, the last section, the Parisian section, I will play a, a, a showpiece, um, the Variation de Concert by Bonnet, mm -hmm. um, and also works by a composer that's very special to me, Olivier Messiaen. Um, you may not know this, but um, I'm one of only six organists in the world to have recorded the complete Messiaen organ works. Um, that project was completed uh, about a year ago, um, seven CDs and... Uh, 67 pieces amazing uh, i was just going to uh, to say this to remind our listeners that that you recorded this um, this cycle right of complete works by messian on the instruments in indiana i believe right um, or not only in that at least the seventh seventh um, cd was in indiana uh, recorded that's Actually, um, the five, six, and seven were recorded at Indiana University, uh -huh. and the first four were recorded at um, uh, Greenville, North Carolina, which is the home of East Carolina University. Yes, uh, but both organs are built by the Fisk Company of uh, Massachusetts, and one of their great specialties is the French Romantic style, and. Their organs, uh, the, the two organs I chose, are perfect vehicles for Messiaen's organ music. Um, and um, particularly the church in North Carolina is very unusually for America, very resonant. It has a six-second reverberation. Um, so that ambiance, of course, is absolutely perfect for the, for the mystery of, of Messiaen's music. Wonderful. So uh, you have the complete feeling of, of Messiaen's musical and inner and spiritual world inside you, right? And you will transfer at least of some of these ideas to the Russian audiences, uh, right? Um, so wonderful. Um, it must be a very special uh, experience to practice and prepare wor the works of Messian uh, for this tour, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
can you uh, tell me or even uh, share with uh, our listeners some of the practice procedures that you are uh, using while preparing for this tour? Yes, uh, well, uh, each day before I practice properly, um, I always warm up uh, with scales. Um, sometimes, uh, well, I think first of all that any good organist will have had a very fine piano background, piano training. Um, I was very, very fortunate with the piano teacher that I had. Um, she was just amazing, and the older I get, the more I give thanks for her every day uh, because she gave me a very, very healthy technique um, and musicianship too. Um, but in the process of finding that teacher, I could easily have gone to someone else. My father didn't really know um, that there were two ladies on the two opposite sides of the same street. Uh, and my friend at the time was going to the lady on the right side, but my, charter, my father chose the lady on the left side, and he made the very best decision he could possibly have made, uh, which he didn't really know at the time. <laughs> but um, yes, my piano teacher gave me the most fantastic um, grounding musically and technically. Um, so yes, I, I quite frequently, uh, especially learning a new piece, uh, practice the manual parts maybe on the organ first, especially something very difficult like some of the pieces of Messiaen. Um, I think it's very important um, to have weight behind the fingers. It's almost like working out or exercising with weights. Um, there's something that solidifies the muscles better when you have the weight of a piano action. And there's something about the weight of a piano action that makes the notes and shapes imprint on your inner computer much more solidly than if you're on maybe a flimsy electric action. Mm -hmm. um, so I always start learning a new piece, um, especially difficult pieces, on the piano, a piano with you know a decent weighted action. Um, so as I say, it it really imprints the, the, the notes on your, well, more importantly, in your uh, central nervous system. Um, if you read uh, books about piano technique and about the great pianists, um, it becomes apparent that it, it's the fact that their, their central nervous system and their, their communication between their hands and their central nervous system is so uh, acute that this actually contributed or actually is the source of technique. It's not actually physical strength as such in the fingers, but the communication uh, with the central nervous system and how well you program the central nervous system. So um, this is something I teach in my organ pedagogy class also. Um, so for those very important reasons, um, I learn a new piece from the piano and then before every practice session every day I do scales for about five to ten minutes either on the piano or on the organ um, if I don't have access to a piano so again it just um, it wakes the brain up and it wakes the central nervous system up and gives you a sense of, of weight behind every fingers energy behind every finger um, so that's that's 
basically how I uh, how I start my practice sessions. Um, Fascinating. Well, uh, may I uh, may just jump in a little bit and uh, uh, ask you whether do you practice on the organ with couplers on to make uh, make more uh, resistance uh, in on your fingers with the couplers basically on. Sometimes yes. Um, uh, the organ I practice on mostly is an electric action. Um, the church is it's just never used very much during the week so I have the great privilege of having quiet uninterrupted practice um, they do have a piano there as well though so I um, as I say I do my scales on the piano uh, and then I will go to the university and practice one of the um, tracker action organs in the practice rooms and yes I mean because I'm so used to practicing on the piano when it comes to a reasonably heavy tracker action I, I don't have any problems um, some organists do have problems and I think that goes back maybe to a lack of piano technique or um, just a, a lack of um, practicing on, on a weighted action slowly as I said before I, I'm a great believer in this imprinting the notes if an action is too light there's a tendency for the fingers to become a little lazy and so the imprinting on the inner computer can be maybe a little bit inconsistent. Um, so yes, I guess my piano back background makes playing a fairly heavy tracker action pretty easy for me. Uh, but also, coming back to what you said earlier, the experience of so many organs on the road. Also, you know, the, the inner computer is an amazing thing. Each instrument you play um, gives you a little tape and you store that tape in your inner memory and uh, so when you come across yet another different instrument the experience from that tape gets automatically played back in the subconscious and if you don't get in, it, in its way by giving it too many instructions it will automatically tell you how much weight to use on the in the fingers or in the feet to accommodate the idiosyncrasies of, of the new action that you're exploring. So, uh, the, the most uh, interesting and revelatory experience I had as an organist starting in this career was on the same tour that we were talking about earlier, um, the first tour of the Soviet Union. Um, after Vilnius, I played uh, the great Valker organ in Riga, and as an Englishman, I had no preparation whatsoever for that console, which, as you know, is very severe. The stretch to the top manual is very, very long. The music desk is very far away. Pedalboard is very heavy, and you have to sit quite far back in order to put the heel down, which makes the stretch to the manuals even greater. And then the weight of the action is pretty considerable. Um, so I only had four hours on that organ because of um, weather delays um, and after the practice I wasn't feeling very happy because I'd never experienced an organ like that before um, but I did my practice and I, I went and had a rest and just tried to clear my mind and to my surprise I still managed to keep a clear mind when I played the recital my, I discovered that my inner computer had made all the adjustments necessary 
and I played as well as I could have hoped to play simply because I didn't get in my way and, and worry about it and, and just let my inner computer do the work. That's that's uh, amazing insight, Colin. I believe that uh, our subconscious mind, if 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 we let it, right, uh, it can guide us uh, very easily through these difficult experiences of playing um, difficult music or or difficult instruments as well. But we have to sort of forget forget that we are in a stressful situation, right? We have to exactly. let it go, basically. You're absolutely right, and that's obviously, you know, easier said than done. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, again, that that revelatory experience, you know, changed me that day, and I started to worry less and trust more. Um, and that's a very interesting um, psychological side of performing which I also discuss in my pedagogy class, if you're completely free of any judgments and you just trust your experience and your musicianship, I mean, this is assuming uh, you know, a, a fairly high degree of technical control and, and ability to play, but as you say, if you don't get in your own way and you allow, well, one book describes it this way, we have this person who wants to sabotage everything and they call it self one but then there's the person inside that knows what to do the subconscious the inner computer and uh... that's self two so if you allow self two to take over then you can get in touch with your absolutely your maximum potential and all of your musicianship because the communication is is completely without any interruption so what you are describing probably Colin is this experience of being in the present in the in the now in, here and now right and uh, there are various terms for that right uh, mindfulness is one and uh, being uh, in the moment is another um, I think uh, the flow is another term for that uh, the zone that athletes uh, uh, use this term the zone uh, but basically it uh, uh, gives us the uh, ability to experience fully experience the present moment and uh, we can achieve this probably with various uh, tools and techniques but one of the most common is of course the breath if we if we s sort of become conscious with our breath breathing at least process right even while playing I have right. noticed for, for example when you play here played in Vilnius how how conscious you were with your on your breathing right not too many people uh, breathe consciously while playing but you were sort of very very pronounced about that I could even hear you breathing uh, so am I on on the right track describing your experience Absolutely. All of the things you've said are absolutely true. Um, yes, and I'm, I'm not aware of um, that the breathing aspect when I'm playing. Um, I'm just so in contact with the music. It's like I'm playing back the CD in my, in my, my, my inner consciousness is playing back the CD of the music. And I'm just trying to stay out of my own way and allow 
what needs to be expressed come through. That's amazing, Colin. And uh, when you go on tours, do you do you memorize music? Um, do you per- perform in 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 uh, without the scores, or you you have different approaches? Um, I think when you know a piece well enough to play it in public, you probably already know it by memory to some degree. Um, so yes, I, I do know my pieces by memory but I prefer to have the score up there um, during the performance I will refer to it sometimes otherwise I will I will look around the room if I can uh, or in the near locale I try to take myself out of the the, the mundaneness of the of the printed score and try and get beyond the score so, um, but I always find it useful to, to have it there as a reminder. Um, so, yes, yeah, some particularly difficult passages, I think it's important to memorize them, um, to analyze the patterns in both hands and in the feet, and, and to be able to observe how those patterns connect visually as well as orally. Um, so, I would say my attention goes back and forth from the, from the score. What about the uh, music theory skills you have, extensive theoretical training? Does it help in practice and in performance too? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, well, if my, I mean, my, my students have to memorize at least part of uh, each recital, so the um, analytical skills are part of memorization, of course. Um, everybody finds what we call muscular memory very easily um, just the, the, the sheer pattern of the notes but you need to have other memory skills to go with that if you're going to memorize um, analytical skills, uh, harmonic progressions um, certain points in the music um, where uh, you have a cadence or a certain chord sequence leading out of a, of a cadence, all those things are important for memorization as is visualization of the score. Um, so, um, and this, this whole process of pretending that you're playing back the score in your mind, listening to it as you, as you play it, all those four skills I think make for a very solid foundation for memorizing. And um, so I guess subconsciously I do that when I'm learning a piece, uh, but I, as I say, I prefer to have the score there for reference. True, true. Uh, of course, uh, um, there is no requirement for organists to play uh, without the score unless right. we want it, right? Uh, it looks uh, sort of very brave for the audience, especially <laughs> if, if, if we um, manage to pull the stops ourselves and do everything by ourselves so no assistant no page turner no registrant uh, it's it looks like like a not not a small feat to do this but uh, i guess uh, it's uh, it's not re- really required to memorize and perform from memory but in practice it's it's very good uh, uh, to know the the piece inside out right to to have me- memorized and analyzed it even Absolutely. before that so that you could be free, secure, and relaxed, and focused at the same time during the performance, don't you think? I, I absolutely agree with you, and um, 
I think also thinking of Messiaen, once you play as much Messiaen as I have, um, you get to know the composer's language, you get to know his chord shapes. Um, for someone first learning Messiaen and looking at some of the more difficult pieces, it can be a little daunting to look at this, you know, sea of black on the score and these hands, handfuls of, of chords. Um, but once you get to understand his modes of limited transposition, the scales which he uses to form his music and the uh, harmonies, that, I mean, there are very recognizable patterns that emerge. Even in the later works where he has these chords of resonance or chords that are added to the chords that are founded from the modes, um, you just get to know his, 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 his way of thinking. And, you know, I, I can look at a Messian chord now and I just know what shape my hand needs to form to play that chord. Yes, and uh, of course you can do that by really analyzing the these seven modes that you are talking about, right? And not only modes, but also the uh, Messian's rhythmical uh, modes and um, rhythmical figures that he uses uh, from the Greek and uh, Hindu rhythms, right? Um, right. These uh, things really help in understanding and appreciating the score on a much deeper level. Uh, oh, it's absolutely essential for Messiaen. You have to know um, the book that he wrote, The Technique of My Musical Language, and you have to study his extensive notes on all of the pieces um, uh, to, to get true insight and to, to, to know his style and and then, you know, go beyond that and um, enter his his world of imagination and spirituality wonderful so um, I'm conscious of your time now Colin but uh, before we part can you uh, can you um, uh, basically um, say or uh, tell a um, insight for our listeners who might want to become someone like you a person, an organist who travels the world with 40 recitals a year, for example, what is uh, three things that he or she might uh, attempt to do? Well, the first thing is you've got to really want it. <laughs> um, it's not for the faint-hearted. Um, any career in music is, is quite difficult and challenging and demands a lot uh, in fact, it demands every fiber of your being, really, to uh, put the right amount of energy into it. Um, and so, yes, that doesn't change when you become professional and you start to travel. The amount of energy that it demands from you is, is very considerable. Um, so, first of all, you've got to want it. Um, and I find that most people who do eventually do this have that kind of drive, that inner want to do it. Um, secondly, you have to find the right teachers for you. Um, in the States particularly, the, the notion that the personality and the ability of the teacher must fit the personality and needs of the student, I think that that is very very important. Um, I've known many many cases where that fit hasn't been 
completely comfortable and it's caused uh, a, a lot of uh, stress for the student. Um, so you have to have a very skilled professor who is completely supportive and goes beyond just the mere classroom interaction and the nuts and bolts of um, technique and actually teaches the person. You have to know your students um, to really be able to teach them thoroughly. It's, it's not a one-size-fits-all situation. Everybody's personality is different and responds to different teaching techniques. So, um, and third, um, you have to have the staying power. Um, I think after studies or during studies, if you really want to be successful as a concert organist, you have to make yourself known and uh, uh, stand out from other organists maybe and, and win a competition. So um, I, I'm not really the greatest fan of competitions because the notion of making music competitively um, is a strange one in my mind. But um, in this day and age, it's, it's absolutely vital for anyone who wants to become a concert artist to win a competition. Even then, it will get you recognition, but it, it, it's not a guaranteed ticket to endless concerts. You know, um, So what you do with a competition win is as important as the, the win itself. So... I think those three, I mean, it's much more complicated and involved than that, but those are the three points that I, I would say um, have been a, a good formula uh, for, for many people I know in the profession. Wonderful, Colin. You were so generous and insightful and, uh, of course, inspiring to our listeners, I hope. And uh, before we uh, uh, finish this conversation, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work online, maybe your CDs or your profile somewhere, your website? Right. Uh, well, for my profile, you could go to Concert Artists Cooperative. Just Google that. Um, you could Google my name, Colin Andrews Organist. Um, there is various information there. And for my recordings, um, the online uh, music resource called Spotify mm -hmm. um, has, I think, five of my CDs, uh, including three or four of the Messiaen recordings. And I think Spotify is maybe an app that you can get on your phone for maybe one dollar. It's it's very very cheap, and, and maybe it's it's free um, on the internet. I can't remember, but anyway. Those are some places where you can find some more about me. Excellent. I will make sure I include these links that you mentioned uh, into the description of our conversation notes. So, uh, Colin, I'm so grateful we did this um, conversation and I wish you many, many uh, productive, creative and brave years ahead of you and uh, uh, for you to continue to inspire audiences and music lovers around the world thank you so much thank you Vitas it's very very kind words and I really appreciate them and um, it reminds me of our wonderful time together in Lithuania and I look forward to seeing you again soon thank you so much bye bye
Bye for now. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavitus, thanks for listening and I'll catch you online really soon.